Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Simon said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times, denied that you even know me. My name is Simon Peter, a real disciple. My father Jonah named me Simon. My Lord Jesus Name me Peter. I'm a man of two names. And really almost two natures. Simon is who I was and who I sometimes still can be. Peter's who Christ called me to be. Who Christ is making me to be. Peter is who I'm, I am becoming. Simon. As Simon, I'm a man of strength and stumbling. As Simon, uh, I'm a man of action more than reflection. I'm a get-her-done kind of guy. I don't like to talk about it. I like to get on with it. I can be decisive. Sometimes I can even be pushy. I think I know what to do, and I'm quick to tell you what to do. I led my family fishing business. I'd tell them when to clean the nets, when to cast out, when to throw out the nets, when to gather them in. Not that I ever knew myself. I'm Simon. I'm a leader, not so much because I have the character to lead, but just because I'm the one out in front. <laughs> I, I can not only be decisive, I can be impetuous. I can, I can vacillate, not, not knowing sometimes, not leading with wisdom, but just, just getting out in front. I can act before I've planned. I can speak before I've thought. Some have called me a man with a foot-shaped mouth. Those that are laughing the hardest may have been called much the same. A man with a foot-shaped mouth. But Jesus named me Peter. Many think that church and Christianity is a woman's thing. 
But Jesus saw the man in me. And he called me out. He called me Rocky. I didn't see it in myself. But he saw it in me. You know how we guys give names to one another? Those by which we really know one another. And sometimes something about those names are almost prophetic. It was with me. I'm Peter. I became the rock. I'm the fortifier of my fellow disciples. I became a leading disciple. You know, I wasn't the first one to follow him. I wasn't that kind of guy. I... You ever notice that about some leaders? They're not very good followers. They're going to do it their own way. They think they know what to do. And sometimes that helps them in their leadership. It gives them a certain confidence and a certain swagger. But it also means that sometimes they find it very hard to give the reins of that influence to anyone else. It wasn't I that was the first to follow. Actually, I wasn't even the first in my family to follow after Jesus that Price goes to my brother Andrew. Now, he, he, he was more of a follower, really. He had always been a follower. He, he hung out with John the Baptist a lot. You know, he'd go to the meetings and, and listen to the... I wasn't the kind of guy that could sit and listen very long, you know. I was a doer. Even when Jesus came to Capernaum and preached from the seashore, I listened, but I... I listened while I was mending my nets. I see some of you texting out there. It's okay. <laughs> I'm called Protos, the first. Not because I was the first to follow, but when I followed, I usually got out in front of everything and everybody. If you'll look at the screen, you'll, you'll see me here in uh, Leonardo da Vinci's going back one more. Okay, now forward. You'll see me over here on this one side. One click more. There I am. That good-looking bald-headed guy right there. One more click. There, there I am in the whole picture. You, you can see me now. There's... Leonardo picked up on something about me here. If, if you'll notice, I'm the most prone person in the picture. No one leaned into life with quite the same enthusiasm I did in this bunch. But I was impulsive too. If you'll notice, in my right hand is a dagger already drawn. That night when Jesus said one of us would betray him. None of us could believe it. Most of the disciples recoiled at the very idea. I was so certain that I wouldn't betray him, I was ready to take out the one that would. My knife was already drawn, and before the end of the night, I stood in the way of anyone that would stand in the way of my Christ. Malchus came to arrest him. I took off his ear. Now, that wasn't very smart. One of me, 50 of them. But smarts is not what I was known for. Action was. I was Simon Peter. 
one moment I'd be taking on a mob. And before the end of the night, I'd be denying that I even knew him. So much enthusiasm, so often going in different directions. Some writers in the scriptures have called me Simon. Others seem to refer to me more as Peter. I I was a man of two names. John probably knew me best. Throughout his gospel, he usually calls me Simon Peter. (laughs) He never knew which one of me was going to show up. I was a real person, a real disciple. But what was maybe one of the most powerful truths of my life, a truth that was life-shaping and destiny-directing for me, I've come to tell you is just as true for you. And that is that disciples are chosen. There's a book in your New Testament that's attributed to my writing. Most of the books of the New Testament uh, bear the name of those that they were written to. Corinthians, written to the Corinthians. Romans, written to the Romans. First Peter wasn't a book written to me. It was a book written by me. The problem was there were so many people to who it was addressed. It was easier to name it by who it was from than who it was to. My letter, I I meant for every Christian. If you'll turn there to 1 Peter. You'll find that I, I couldn't wait to get this point across, even past the first verse. The opening thought. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout, count the places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, those who are chosen. Jesus chose me. And I've never quite gotten over that. You say, sure, Peter, he, he, he chose you. you. You were one of the 12. He, you walked with him. He called you by name to be one of his followers, and that's, that's absolutely true. But I'm here to tell you as one who knows that certainly that I was chosen, that you are too. Even before you knew him, He knows you as he knew me. He knew who I was and he knew who with him I could become. And I want you to know that this truth is a powerful thing. There's nothing more stabilizing or more inspiring as a disciple than to know that you being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just a matter of your own choosing. Something just you are choosing and something just you are making up and just something you are responsible for. God chooses us. And he chooses each of us as particularly as he chooses any of us 
Now, I suspect that you have as hard a time believing that as I did. <laughs> I wasn't a follower. I didn't get involved unless I was the one leading the band. I didn't play along. I disqualified myself. Maybe you're disqualifying yourself right now. You, you've played the games at recess. You know the ones that are chosen. You think you know the rules of what it means to be chosen, that the chosen are the gifted, the prominent, the popular, the influential, the well-trained, the exceptional. God doesn't choose the ordinary to change the world. And if you believe that, you'd be wrong. And I'd be exhibit A. I was just an ordinary guy. I had married. My mother-in-law was living with me. I had a little family fishing business. My brothers were a part of it. I had a lake house. Right, 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 right there in Capernaum between the synagogue and the shoreline. I mean, I, I was doing okay. I'd carved out a comfortable existence for myself. I, I was making a decent living and I wasn't making waves. And then Jesus shows up. A religious man that I thought, you know, was for religious types and, well, that wouldn't be me. So that day when he came and was preaching by the seashore, I was just uh, really being a spectator. I wasn't listening because I really didn't think he was speaking to me. You know, I was just kind of overhearing what he had to say. And it was pretty incredible. I'd never heard anyone speak with such authority, such clarity, such power. But Jesus, if you're getting to know him, he has a way of drawing you in. I was drawn to his strength. I remember sitting there on the shoreline mending my nets when the crowd grew too large and he said, Simon, can I borrow your boat? Pulpits still today resemble the, the front of my boat. He preached from my boat. And I thought that was pretty cool. I tried to mend the nets quietly, keep the boat steady. They have a way of kind of turning in the wind. We anchored right there. Jesus spoke. It was, it was pretty cool. And it was over, I thought. And then he turns to me, the fisherman. And this religious guy says, hey, cast out into the deep. I'm, I'm the fisherman here, right? Family business. Doing okay. And the preacher's going to tell me what to do. Simon. But I decided to humor him. We, we went out into the, the deeper waters. Deeper waters are not where you're going to find fish this time of day. I could have told him. I thought we'll just do this quickly, be done with it. Cast your nets. We did. And I saw the catch of fish that a fisherman dreams about.
boat sinking, net ripping. We were hauling them in. The boats, I thought they were going to sink. Jesus had said, can I borrow your boat? And then he said, can, can I teach you to cast? And then I realized he wasn't interested in my boat. He wasn't interested in my nets. He wasn't even impressed with the catch. He was looking at me. He didn't have to say a word. I could, I could see it in his eyes. You know, the asking, the urging, the, the pleading, the daring. He looked at me and he, he smiled that comforting and unnerving smile of his all at the same time. He looked at me and I got self-conscious myself and I started thinking about follow him, me, really, me, be one of his disciples. Are you kidding me? I, I, just an ordinary guy. I, I still go a hundred directions at once. You, you, I'm not the kind of guy you can count on. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I thought maybe he missed something, you know? He just stared back at me and taught me the first lesson of discipleship. He didn't choose me because I had the ability to follow him. He chose me. Because he saw his ability living in me. And when he did, he saw something different. It wasn't going to depend on me, my strength, my ability. Jesus looked right back at me and he said, follow me. And if you follow me, I will make you a fisherman of men. Well, that was a little different. A lot of the responsibility was on him. I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you the disciple that I envision you being. I will be the one that gives you the ability. Follow me. Listen, it's very important that you get the order down in this. We can't, but he can. But Jesus doesn't say... Go and be the best disciple you can, and when you get in trouble, call on me. Job one. Follow hard after him. Don't make your ministry your master. Follow hard after him. Follow me. Jesus first calls us to himself, and then with him, all kinds of things become possible. Dare not to disqualify yourself. You were chosen. Even before you chose him, he chose you. And he chose you for, first of all, himself. To follow him, to relate to him, to grow ever closer to him. 
He called me into that friendship because he knew that that friendship would make such a difference in my life that I could become one that fished for people even as he did. Jesus chooses us for himself and he chooses us to risk following. And I pray this day that if you haven't, you will. And I pray this day that if you have, you will again. Risk responding to that call. Because if you do, I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I am saying it'll be the adventure that your life was always meant to take. Risk responding as I did. You're chosen for himself, and, and you were chosen for this unique role that he has for you. Only you occupy your space in this world. Only you have the relationships you have. Only you have the job that you have. Only you. But most of us don't believe that God's big enough to have anticipated all that. To be in the midst of all that. To be calling us and counting on us to be who we can be uniquely with him when we're with him in those circumstances. You're chosen. Trust him. Not yourself. Trust him. And you'll find the strength you need to risk following. Your discipleship is not just a matter of what you choose and what you decide. God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Disciples are chosen. Chosen to, for Christ himself, chosen to risk following, chosen to repent, chosen to restore, to become a restorer. He chose you. And part of his choosing you anticipated you keeping on choosing him. There's a word that the Bible uses and that Jesus used for, for that keeping on choosing. And it's the word repent. To turn towards home. To realize you're at a fork in the road and you're going to consult Christ for which way to go. Folks, you have to know that you're chosen to have that certain in your own soul for God truly to direct your life. You have to trust Him deeply. You have to trust even His strongest rebuke. And know that his, even His strongest rebuke is, is, is a word of correction for someone that He loves so much He doesn't want you to go off course. Get thee behind me, Satan. That was hard to take. Simon, Simon, you talk a good game. You say that you would be the last of the disciples to deny me and betray me was what he was saying, but actually I was the first and he told me before it ever happened. It was the occasion of that night that he was arrested. We 
had had the supper. He had washed our feet. We had sung some hymns. It was a night where much hung in the balance. And then he turned to me and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, to rub you out, to separate you into dust like wheat from the chaff. But do you hear what he said to me? Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. He's praying for you right now. He never ceases interceding for the saints. In every circumstance, his spirit moves to the way that in all things, in all things, he works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Jesus prayed for me that I not lose faith. And he went beyond that. And when once you have turned again, he was praying that I not lose faith, but he seemed to know that I would. Or why would he say, and when you turn again? He was telling me that I... I, I I hadn't arrived yet that I was going to mess up even again. That becomes a very painful thing when you love Christ as much as I came to love him. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. I denied him three times, just as he said. I was so caught up in the moment, I didn't even see it coming. And then all of a sudden, the cock crowed. That morning call horn went off and I remembered what Jesus had said. And my heart sunk. I was right there in the courtyard within eyeshot. I turned and looked into his face, the same face that he called me in the very beginning. And there was the same call, the same asking. The same challenge, the same dare. And it was still based on the same thing. Not how well I had done or how well I was doing. He still believed in me. So I could trust believing in him. He loved me. And he loved you. While we were yet sinners. While we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that proves God's love for us. I don't know what you expect to see in the face of Christ when you really blow it like I did. Maybe disappointment, maybe disgust. But most of those looks add up to rejection. I'm here to tell you that's not what you'll see. You'll see him still loving you. He still believed in me, 
because he could not deny that he himself was still committed to be at work in me. If you you can't see that, know deep in your heart that you're chosen, then you'll likely despair when when you really blow it, when you really have a failure, when you really turn against him, when you really betray him. And either like my brother Judas, you'll do something stupid in that despair. You'll take yourself out in your own prideful disgust of yourself or you'll do the weaker thing, which I did. You'll quit fishing altogether. You'll give up the call. You'll pretend you never heard it. You'll go back to fishing for fish. You'll go back to life as you can best manage it on your terms and in your strength and leave God out of the picture. You'll abandon the pursuit of his purposes being fulfilled in your life in the way he sees they can be fulfilled. And be careful of that spot. Shame and pride are prison wardens that rarely let go. But I thank God that I wasn't in that prison alone. When I said, I'm going back to fishing for fish. Jesus was dead. I had betrayed him. He was still in the grave. I'm going back to fishing for fish. My buddies wouldn't let me go alone. Six of the twelve said, us too. And we got in the boat and we went out on the water and we were having another one of those fruitless nights of fishing. Didn't catch a thing. I hope you've got the power of friendships like that working in your life. I hope you know the redemptive power of being connected to the body of Christ. Some of those brothers were as distraught as I was, as disillusioned, as disoriented. But we hung on to each other, which we could see until it became clear about what we couldn't see. It was dawning. And there was a figure on the shore. John recognized him first. It's Jesus, he said. I was still Simon. I couldn't wait to row towards shore. I just jumped in. And swam. I didn't get there smart. But I got there first. I hope you have someone in your life that's Jesus with skin on for you. When I had gone AWOL, Jesus came looking for me again. He could have judged me. He could have shamed me. He could have said, buck up. But he just cooked me breakfast. And looked at me that same way he looked all the time. When I made him proud and when I broke his heart. The way he looks at you never changes. He was gracious to me. He, he fed me and he, he fed all the other disciples. And we had a time just of fellowship. He let us know that we were safe in his presence and... Then he took me aside. He could have judged all of us, really. Which one of us hadn't betrayed him? I mean, I'm the one that's famous for it, but 
Anybody out there hadn't betrayed him? Yeah, I know. What does he do? He, he, he would do for you what he did for me. He took me aside and he loved me enough not to leave me in that place of unresolved betrayal. He confronted me and he did it with this question. He said, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? I wish you could hear where he placed the emphasis that day. It wasn't on the you. Do you love me more than these? His his point was not pointing at me. He could have had that finger pointed at me, but he didn't. And And he wasn't saying... Do you love me more than those? It wasn't about the others either. It was about him, really. First and foremost, just as it was in the beginning, do you love me? He didn't even focus on my failure. He wanted me not to focus on my failure. He wanted me to focus on the fact that he was worthy. He was worthy of all my strength, of all my devotion, of all that I could give him. It was just me and Jesus again. The same challenge continued. Follow me. And he's still praying for me as he's praying for you. And not only does he choose us to restore one another to that fellow. When he chooses us, he makes us living stones. Will you hear this from the one that he called Rocky? You are a living stone. I don't know if you're seeing it correctly in your mind. I know that you guys have those concrete tilt-up walls now. You know, you just lay them out on the side and you build the wall with concrete and you tilt it up and you got a theater or a church or something like that, you know. We didn't have those buildings. It was a brick-by-brick project. If it didn't have a cornerstone, everything would fall apart. A stone that would not be moved. Everything else could be built upon that. Stone by stone by stone by stone. And when the walls were built, the stones were either firmly in place or they were mortared to one another. Because as we became connected to one another, we could sense and buttress one another with that same strength that we got from the cornerstone. We were discovering as disciples together what I was discovering as a disciple individually. That Christ was an indispensable key to our success as disciples. We didn't live this life and then bring it to him for a report card. He was the builder of it all along. And just like a 
a wall made of stones. Each stone depends on one another, depending on the cornerstone. If one of those stones is loose, if one of those stones is slightly misplaced, if one of those stones chooses to live in that wall loosely, the whole wall's in jeopardy. If I hadn't chosen that day to return and strengthen my brothers, who knows who else would have gone a well? Would the others have ever returned? And hear, hear me, hear me, if ever you choose to return to Christ, that's not just for you. Because you become a trailblazer at that point. You become someone who others can follow to return to him as well. From the same disasters, from the same mistakes, from the same betrayals. You become a testimony that God's not through with them yet either, just as I am to you today. You are chosen. I heard him call my name. And if this morning you've heard the Spirit resounding in your own heart that this call is for you, and for every one of you it is, And I challenge you this morning to be man enough to do what I did. And that's to risk responding. To trust him more than you trust yourself. To choose his choosing of you. I, as a real disciple, challenge you to keep on choosing that choosing. To decide that you will be a living stone, a chosen one, for he was in God's sight, the cornerstone, and you also are living stones. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession, that he might call you out of darkness into his marvelous light, you are chosen. God is with you. May that be your strength when yours is not enough. He always prevails. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this morning we pray that you would make of us real disciples. For every way that we waver and falter as Simon Peter did. Help us to find your strength in our weakness. And help us, Lord God, to learn to depend upon it even as we choose to do so right now. Lord, if our decision this morning is to come to you for the first time, then let us be the first to swim to shore, the first to come to an altar, 
the first to unashamedly respond to your invitation. If this morning we are one that needs to respond again, who's dropped out, who's no longer in the game, who are loose stones, disconnected. We have no friends like like Simon Peter had when things go bad. No friends to laugh with when things are to be celebrated. No one around us who weeps with those who weep and who rejoices with those who rejoice. Father, we pray that you would help us find our place in this wall, this community, this fellowship as a living stone. We come forward this morning, Lord God, even as we commit in our own hearts to be one that follows you for the first time or all over again. If this morning you would come to Christ for the first time, I invite you to the altar. If you're choosing again, then I invite you to the same place he invited me. Feed my lambs. Strengthen your brothers. If this day you would choose to join this church, mortar yourself in in this place, we invite you to come also to this altar. Choosing Christ, choosing fellowship among his disciples. Come to this altar if those are your choices. And we'll receive you even as Jesus received and walked with Simon Peter. Let's stand as we sing.